Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Elisa Weilerstein is one of the world's great cellists. She's with WQXR to perform a cafe concert. Thank you. 
It's always nice to talk to you and see you, and of course, it's magical to hear you play. Oh, it's great to see you, too. Nice to talk Your to you. new album features the Dvorak Cello Concerto with the Czech Philharmonic. What did you learn about playing Dvorak from Czech musicians, if anything? Do they have a different feel for it? I think so. There's a kind of warmth and depth to their playing, which I found very unique, and also the way they shape phrases. There was a kind of flexibility in the phrasing, which I um, fell in love with immediately. And they were also, I mean, they were just such wonderful people. Uh, Jerzy Berolavik was... Um, it was a dream to work with him. He was a, he had a way of, you know, discussing ideas in such a interesting way and he had a very kind way and it was it was wonderful. Where was did really, you do the yeah. recording? We did it in Prague. Uh well the concerto we did in Prague. Right. Where in Prague? At the At, at the Rudolfino. At the Rudolfino. In Dvorak Hall, right. actually. And then um we shot the photos uh the next day for for the album cover and all of that at Dvorak's estate, maybe forty five minutes outside of the city. Um he has he had this beautiful, beautiful house you know, surrounded by woods, but like, you know, by the Bohemian Forest, literally. Is it a place that's open to the public? Yes, it's it's a museum. I mean, but you know, d- during the day, of course, it's open to the public. I mean, people walk around the grounds and they come into the house and they see, you know, rec- um, very old recordings, some some books, some scores. And, and actually, um, in the living room, there is uh, a very old piano um, and, the, and there's a portrait of Josephine, who, of course, was uh, Dvorak's sister-in-law, who he was secretly in love with. And it, it was amazing because... Uh, of course, Las Michalain or Las Michalain, of, of course, is on the recording, and it's, I mean, it's, it forms such a huge part of the Dvorak Cello Concerto, which is, and this, of course, was her favorite song, which he put in right after he found out that she was dying. In fact, the ending was finished, and then when he found out that she was dying, he changed it completely to incorporate the song, and so then it, it, it ends on a sigh, or the cello ends on a sigh, and then, the, of course, when the orchestra takes over, it says, if the soul is leaving the body. And, uh, I played the song, which is on the recording, right underneath her portrait, actually, for, for part of And th- this was very moving for me because I, um, th- this story has always been one of my favorite stories in, uh, let's say, classical music uh, lexicon. <laughs> so Now, it happens that you met your husband, uh, Rafael Payare, yep. um, through this concerto. How did that happen? What's that story? <laughs> well, in uh, February 2009, I played an audition for Gustavo Dunamel because I wanted to work with him. And I played the Dvorak concerto for him. And then he invited me to come. Uh, ten months later, he invited me to play with the, Sim- the Simon Bolivar Orchestra in Venezuela, in Caracas. Rafael was, uh, at the time, he was the principal horn player of the Simon Bolivar Orchestra. And so when I went down to Venezuela, I was o- originally scheduled to only play the Dvorak concerto and to give a couple of master classes. And... Um, you know, we, we, we met and connected there and somehow wound up um, actually staying a week longer because they um, they very spontaneously in Venezuelan style invited me uh, to go on a national tour with them. They At the very last moment, because everything in Venezuela works extremely spontaneously, very last minute. And um, I remember asking them, I said, are you sure you can change all the flights and you can change the, the program? And they said, they looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, of course, leave that with us. You just play. <laughs> which was really fabulous, and so it was. It was all. It was a very serendipitous time somehow, and so we um, we met and we we got together very quickly. So that the Venezuelans mm-hmm. worked that way is not surprising, but that you had a week free is the real shocker. It was, <laughs> it was quite shocking. But actually, it was right around Christmas time, right before, and so I. So that was actually my last scheduled concert of, of two thousand nine. It was very very serendipitous. The entire the entire thing. So meant to be. Meant we, to be. We yeah. might say meant might to say. be. Yes. So did <laughs> did that experience factor into your decision to record the concerto at this particular time? 
Uh, actually, no. This was that's another sort of uh, very happy coincidence. Um, in fact, this plan was in the works for a long time to record the Dvorak with the Czech Philharmonic, and yes, it it, it so happens that I mean I recorded it right, be, you know, two months before we got married uh, in, in June, and and yeah. With a piece that's as well known as this concerto, the Dvorak concerto. What are the thoughts that you have, and how do you deal with the idea that I'm recording it, it's it's going to be my interpretation? Do you worry about distinguishing it from something else? Do you quit listening to other recordings at that time? What? How do you, how do you go through that? Because these are chestnuts or war horses, yes, and, yet, and yet, of course you want to play them. Well, like you said, uh, let me address... Uh, the last part first, actually. Um, I mean, that these are war horses. Um, they're war horses for a reason. I mean, they are, to use a very overused term, I mean, they really are masterpieces. And for that reason, there's always something so new to find every time I approach these pieces again. And many of the miniatures even, I mean, of course, the, you know, let alone the concerto, these are pieces I've played a million times. The concerto, it's, it's uh, I've been playing it in, in public since I was 14 years old. So this is a, a, a very long time. And I did quit listening to recordings actually pretty early on, uh, you know, when I, maybe when I was around 14 or 15, I stopped listening to recordings of the Dvorak Concerto so that I could really have my own learning experience with it. Or even when I was 12, when I learned it, I kind of, you know, to not have these, uh, these sounds in my ear. Somebody else whispering in your ear. That's exactly. Right. And yeah. of course, I've heard the Dvorak, you know, lots of times live since then. And, and, I've, and I will occasionally listen to recordings to kind of, you know, just because uh, for, for pleasure. I mean, I, I love listening to, the, to great cellists play great repertoire. So, so no, I, I think for that reason, I, I'm, I'm not worried. I mean, I, I really did develop my own relationship with the score, and which is actually constantly evolving and having the relationship with, uh, with the Czech Philharmonic and people who really have this music so much inside them. I mean, I changed a lot of things even just by playing, I think just even unconsciously. So I, I, I think, I, I hope it's, it's, it's different from... <laughs> <laughs> from others, I mean, of course, you know, we all distinguish our, ourselves. Um, we're all individuals and we play differently from each other. My sense is that great musicians may think up sort of an architecture for a piece. They may sure. design it, but but that's not the point. The point is actually to be open to let the music flow through you. And Sure. And well, actually, actually, maybe both are valid. I mean, of course, you have to go through the scores so you know where the structural points are and you have to have a very um, very deep structural understanding. But, but yes, I mean, ultimately... When it, when it comes down to it, I mean, to really let the music speak out and communicate uh, to myself and also to, to others. I mean, and really letting the music communicate from the inside out. That's the most honest way to communicate the music. Sure. Your husband is not only a French horn player, he's also a conductor. Yes. You have some musical discussions then, I presume. There's got to be a lot of music in your household. Absolutely. And, but do you turn it off at some point, too? How do you negotiate that? It's been very natural with us. Um, we, we actually work together quite a lot now. And, and in fact, um, I'm about to play Brahms Double with him in Hamburg next week. I don't know. We, we don't have to consciously turn it on or off. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's very easy. I mean, I, we love discussing music with each other. I mean, we, we do have a lot in common in the way we approach music. And our priorities are, are pretty much the same, even if we have, you know, disagreements about, you know, certain little things. But yeah, it's very easy to turn it off and to talk about other stuff. It's, I mean, I don't even think about it, really. I'm sure. I'm sure that you don't. Yeah. Those of us who don't live in in your musical neighborhood right. wonder how you negotiate that, and I'm sure it's completely natural. It's very you. natural. It yeah. really is. Well, congratulations! Thank congratulations you so on your recent marriage. It's a pleasure to have you here, and always a pleasure to encounter your music wherever you're making it. Elisa, thank you so thank much. You. It's great to speak with you.